Uh, we're in Acts chapter 12, and I'm going to read uh, starting in verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. And this happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the Passover. And after arresting him, he put him in prison and handed him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers and bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side uh, and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him, and Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guard and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, when many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it, opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You are out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hands for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. And after Herod had thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Wow. You know, it's kind of funny how stories like that become such commonplace when we're in church. But let's talk about this story just for a minute because this is rather remarkable And it's not your normal occurrence. I mean, having an angel appear to someone in prison is not something that we hear a lot about. Maybe you've had angels appear to you. I would guess that the majority of you in this room have not had an experience similar to this. And it seems fitting in this summer when we're talking about how Christ has come to curse the normal. In other words, he has come to curse the normal that I was born into. I was born normal. And I was living normal, and I was thinking that this normal was okay because everybody else was living in that normal. Until Christ came and he cursed the normal. 
He cursed that part of me that could not understand or even perceive that he was calling me to something different. And this old normal died and something new came to life. And so we've been talking about how Christ cursed the normal to bring in the supernatural. And here we have this crazy story of this angel appearing to Peter. So let's talk about it just for a minute. So the angel shows up to rescue, okay? And I can't tell you that this... I cannot read this story without thinking about uh, my teenage sons. You know, a bright light shone in the cell. Time to get up. Didn't wake him up, did it? So the angel really wasted his light on Peter, didn't he? Didn't wake up. Then what does he do? The scripture says that he struck Peter. Okay, I don't know what the Greek is there. I would think maybe did he give him a toe? You know, did he punch him? Did he let his wing flap down and slap him in the face? I I don't know. Did this angel have wings? We don't know, but... Okay, and he's still groggy. And finally the angel says, hey, Peter, get up. So Peter gets up, and have you ever been in that state? Or some of you, uh, when you wake up in the morning, you don't know who you are or where you are? I had a roommate in college, and his parents would always call him early in the morning. And I knew his parents, and so I'd ask him later, hey, what'd your parents have to say? And he goes, man, I haven't talked to them in like weeks. I'm like, dude, you talked to them on the phone this morning for 20 minutes. What? He was just out of it. And we got this state of Peter's just out of it. So the, the angel starts to become very specific. He says, put on your clothes, Peter. That's a troubling thought. Peter was sleeping. In the, anyway, uh, put on your sandals. Put on your cloak. Now come on, Peter, follow me. You know, every little detail, like a small child. He's just out of it completely. Matter of fact, we're told that he didn't believe that this was actually happening. He was so asleep. He was such in deep sleep and being brought out of that deep sleep by even an angel that he still thinks he's dreaming. Is this really happening? It's not till later that he gets outside that it says he came to himself and said, Oh, now I believe that God sent an angel. He's standing in the streets. Now I believe that God actually is doing this and this isn't just a dream. Maybe you can relate to that. I don't know. I just love the whole humanness of this. That Peter is in deep sleep. And then we come to Rhoda. This is kind of funny too because she's the servant girl that when Peter came out of prison, he went straight to Mary's house because he knew that people were gathering there to pray and starts knocking on the door. And Rhoda goes and she hears it's Peter's voice out there and comes running back into the prayer meeting. She forgets to open the door. She's so excited. We've been praying for Peter and here he is on the other side. She goes back into the prayer meeting and they start this long debate about, okay, is Rhoda out of her mind? Yes, she, this group suggests she's out of her mind and this group says, no, she's not out of her mind. The whole time it says right there, Peter just kept on knocking. And you can almost imagine their argument is, you know, I could get my point across if that stupid knocking would just stop. Would somebody please go find out what that knocking is? So they finally go and they open the door and it's Peter and they're all excited and jumping up and down and throwing a party. And What was Peter doing in prison? And this is important for us to understand as we kind of unpack what this means because... Although this is a descriptive text, this is historic. It's telling the story of what happened to Peter. 
It's not prescriptive. It's not saying that if you ever get into prison one day and you're a believer, then you expect an angel to come and rescue you, you know? But there are some things here we can gain. First of all, Herod Agrippa was ruling over the land at the time. Herod is the nephew of the Herod that put John the Baptist to death. It's not the same Herod, but he was in the same family. So this Herod Agrippa was making a name for himself, and the way he was making a name for himself was trying to get favor among the people that lived in the land that he was ruling, which was a majority of them were Jews. And so he arrested James. Now, James was an apostle. He was one of the twelve. And when he arrested them, the Jews got all excited, like, here's one of the leaders of the way. You know, he's one of the Christian leaders. And then when Herod actually ordered that James's head be cut off, then the Christian or the Jewish community was ecstatic. They couldn't believe that the Roman leaders would actually intervene and destroy that which they hated so much. Jesus had a name for James. He called him the son of thunder. I mean, this guy was bigger than life. And ready for the adventure that God was calling him on. And people knew that. And they, they saw him and admired him and wanted to follow where James was going. And now he's dead. So Herod was taking advantage of the fact that the Jews were so happy. So he said, well, if that made you happy, then maybe if I go arrest some more, that'll make them even more happy and incur favor. So he said, well, let's go find Peter. So he found Peter, another leader of the way, and had him arrested. And the plan was that right after Passover, because everybody had come to town for the Passover, that after Passover they were going to put Peter on trial and they were going to behead him as well to gain even more favor. So he places him in prison and he knows that Peter's kind of a slippery character because of other stories he's hold about, heard about Peter being in prison. And he puts four squads. Now there's four soldiers in each squad, so he's got 16 soldiers around him, and he's chained to two of them, and he's sleeping between them. And he knew that this was the end. Herod wasn't playing around. He took James's head. Now he's arrested me, if you're Peter. I'm chained to two soldiers. I'm surrounded by 14 more soldiers. There's nobody that's going to be able to get in here and rescue me. Uh, these are the people that wouldn't even answer the door when Peter was knocking on the door. He's stuck. This is pretty hopeless. There doesn't seem to be any way to escape. And I can, I'm pretty sure that Peter was thinking, you know, they killed Christ, they killed James, they've killed some of my best friends, they've thrown others in prison, this is the end for me. And yet Peter was so sound asleep that when the angel came to wake him up, the angel couldn't hardly get Peter to fully wake up until he got him out of prison out into the street. How is that possible? How is it that Peter was so asleep that he could rest with such deep sleep chained between two guards? Well, let's, let's speculate for a minute. Maybe Peter knew something that we need to know today. Maybe what he knew is he, maybe what he knew is, hey, I'm an apostle. You know? I mean, I'm a child of God. God said that he's working all things out for the good of those who love me and are called according to my purpose. I'm one of his, and if I'm one of his, he's certainly going to rescue me, right? Well, he didn't save James. 
So maybe that's not what Peter was thinking. Maybe Peter had been listening to some of Joel Olstein's sermons. Maybe that's what he was doing. And so he was a positive thinker. And he really believed that if I have a positive attitude, then God will help me. And if I believe enough in what God tells me to believe in, then he's going to rescue me. Maybe God's best life is really his. And if he can do certain things, he can determine God's best life for himself. Let me read you a quote, all right? Hang with me. This is out of a book. Uh, a guy named Michael Horton wrote, wrote Christless Christianity. Talking about Christianity in the state of America today. And Does Christ come merely to improve our existence in Adam or to end it? Sweeping us into his new creation. Is Christianity all about spiritual and moral makeovers or about death and resurrection? Radical judgment and radical grace. Is the word of God a resource for what we have already decided we want and need? Or is it God's living and active criticism of our religion, morality, and pious experience? In other words, is the Bible God's story centering on Christ's redeeming work that rewrites our story? Or is it something we use to make our story a little more exciting and interesting? Jesus has been dressed up as a corporate CEO. He's been dressed up as a life coach. Dressed up like a cultural warrior or a political revolutionary, a philosopher, a co-pilot, a co-sufferer, a moral example, a partner in fulfilling our personal and social dreams. In all of these ways, we are reducing the central character and the drama of redemption to a prop for our own play. What he's talking about there and is, have we reduced God to nothing more than a servant to give me what I really want? Is he the salt on the buffet of the things that I choose to put on the plate of my life? That I'm going to live my life and God, I want you to come and kind of be the dressing on the salad to make it all taste really good. But this is really my life. And this is really my existence and my journey. And you're just a player in the journey. Now, hey, wait, you're a big player. I mean, come on, you're God. All right? Or is it the other way around? If we read, if you have time this week to read First and Second Peter, the writings of Peter, you might find that Peter had a very different view of things than what we just mentioned. That he knew several things. And this is what I want to challenge you to do today. He knew three things. And we're going to step into those three things and then we're going to try to apply those things to our lives, okay? The first thing that I think that Peter understood is that this is God's story. That all of this is God's story. That he's the one on the move, that he's the one working, and he is the one completing everything. That God wasn't sitting up in heaven chewing his fingernails and turning to the angels and saying, what are we, what are we going to do? Herod is so big and strong. He's ruling so much and the Jews seem to like him so much and they put Peter in prison. Oh no, we didn't see this one coming. That God wasn't doing that, that God knew everything that was going on. Listen to the words of the Westminster Confession. God has all life glory, goodness, and blessedness in and of himself. 
He alone is all sufficient in and to himself, not standing in need of any creature which he has made, nor deriving any glory from them, but rather manifesting his own glory in and by and to and on them. He alone is the fountain of all beings, of whom, through whom, and to whom all things. He is absolutely sovereign over them to do by them, for them, and unto them whatever he pleases. In his sight all things are open and manifest. His knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent of his creatures, so that nothing to him is uncertain. He is most holy in all his counsel, in all his works, and in all his commands. To him is due from angels and men and every other creature. Whatever worship, service, or obedience he is pleased to require of them. God is God. And he rules over all sovereignly. And Peter acknowledged that in his writings, in his own life, that God is God. And here's what's really cool. I am not. That's the first thing he knew. God is God. Now we could spend time talking about like we did in the, in the worship time prior is that for me to say that God is God and all his infinite power and wisdom also is the God who chooses to let me call him father. Also is the God who chooses to call himself love. But let's move on to the second thing. God is advancing his kingdom and using Peter. God is God. And God is choosing to advance his kingdom in and through Peter. Now, that may not sound like much to you, but let me put this in, in your context. Every, if God is sovereign, okay, everything in your life, every category of your life, every event in your life, God is using to advance the kingdom of God in and through you, just like he did Peter. Imagine that. Everything. Everything in your life. See, when I lose sight of that, or when I don't believe that, then when I don't believe that everything in my life is being used by a sovereign God to advance his kingdom and to bring glory to his name then these are the kind of things that start slipping into my life. I start blaming. Like, have you ever been in a relationship that's really hard? Have you ever had an argument with somebody and you left that argument and it was unsettled and you were mad? Isn't it just so much easier just to blame the other person? Wow, what a jerk. You know, if they were different, we wouldn't have gotten into this argument. Or if they would only see this, or if they would only think this way, or... How many marriages are there that so easily blame the other person and thinking that if I had a spouse that, or if you were more like that, or if you could that, it's so easy to blame. Because what is blaming? Blaming is nothing more than cursing my situation. It's cursing the fact that I'm in the middle of this, and I don't want to be in the middle of this, and I don't want to be in the middle of this with you. It's so easy to curse our situation, isn't it? It's so easy to constantly get ourselves in places that we hate. And I talk about this often, but, you know, bad drivers bring that out in me. I don't know what it is. Like, 
I just think I attract them. Like light attracts those, you know, f- f- bugs at night. I just attract bad drivers that love to go slow. Especially when I'm in a hurry. Okay? Because I'm not a bad driver. That's another thing. Delusionary thinking is the result of not believing that God is sovereignly in control of all things and working in and through all things. I also start hating my situation. I hate being in this place. Maybe you're a student this morning and you hate the grades that you've made. Or you've hated everything that's worked up to this place to where you are right now this morning. Maybe you're pregnant this morning and you weren't planning on being pregnant. Or maybe you wished you were pregnant, but everything that's led up to this place has not made you pregnant. Or maybe you wish that wouldn't have happened to a certain person or this wouldn't have happened to a certain person. And so now you're living in this place of hatred and bitterness. That it just stinks that all this happened leading up to this place. I didn't get, I wanted to get, I should have got, I didn't. This is what I have, I don't want it. And what I got, I wish I could get rid of it. Blame, cursing, hating our situation. Uh, And this is a great one. I mean, um, worry is the fruit of not believing that God's working through every situation. I mean, think about it. Do you ever worry about things that could happen? That was a dramatic pause. Because we all do, don't we? Do you ever create scenarios in your mind like, well, if I go there, then then this might happen or I might run into that person at that party and if I run into them, I know what they're going to say. And the next thing you know, you're living out this conversation in your head and you've already had the conversation before you even go to the party. You're already ticked at them because they said something that they haven't said yet, but you're convinced that they're going to say it. Ooh, as soon as I see them, I'm going to get them for what I know they would have said if I would have been in that conversation with them. Wow, he's right. That's right. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you don't, then later today you're going to think about it and you're going to try to live it out in the future and then you're going to really get mad. I don't know what that meant. I'm sorry. But think about it. I worry that things aren't going to work out for me as opposed to God is sovereignly working everything for his glory. Praise the Lord. He is God and I am not. Or how about envy? If you don't like your life, it is, it is so easy to envy, isn't it? Well, if I had more money, or if I had more success, or if I had just maybe less success, I have the capability of despising everything I have, even if it's good. I don't know about you, but I can even take a good thing and saying, well, you know, if I didn't have that, then then I'd really be, yeah, okay. You know what I mean? Like some of you are so beautiful. And you despise your beauty. Well, if I was uglier, then I'd really find out who loves me. I know that's a problem I struggle with. (laughs) I'm sorry. Let me me move it in. Some of you are, are thieves. Some of you are the practice of stealing because you are discontent with what God has given you. And you want more. Let me give you an example. Some of you struggle with sexual immorality. In all of its forms of how scripture talks about it. 
Because you're not content with the place where God says, this is where and how you're to express your sexual life. Because God has made you sexual. It is a beautiful thing that God has made us sexual creatures. I am fully pro-sex. But in the context of where God has said, this is how you're to express it. Some of you are saying, God, I don't want to wait for that. I despise the situation that you've put me in. So I'm going to go down my own road. I'm going to express it the way I want to express it. I'm going to find satisfaction in it the way I want to find satisfaction in it. Because that's what I need right now. And so we leave the path of God. Why? Because we despise where we are. What would happen in our lives if this morning, like Peter, we believe that everything that's happened to the moment you stepped into this room is exactly what needed to happen to get you right where you are so that God could sovereignly work out the purposes of his kingdom in and through you? Wow. Peter, we know he kind of understood that in Acts chapter 16. We won't go there, but you can write that down. He uh, was in prison again. Man, he was in and out of prison a lot. And uh, him and Silas, he was with a buddy of his. He wasn't chained to guards this time. And what were they doing in prison at midnight? Singing. That's right. They were singing. How can they sing? How can they be lifting up their voices in praise? Matter of fact... Because he, they, well, I'm not going to say because, but in the middle of their worship, an earthquake came and shook that prison, okay? And the jailer, the midnight jailer, was going to fall on his sword because all the prisoners were escaping, and Paul, uh, or Peter stopped him. And Peter, uh, now I'm talking about Paul now, right? Well, Paul, I'm getting them all confused. They were worshiping the Lord and said, no, stop. And this midnight jailer came into the Lord. He was the second guy in Philippi to come into the Lord. He was a cornerstone of the church of Philippi. Now, if any of us would have gone to Philippi at the time, and we would have said, now go pick out the cornerstones of the church in this community. None of us would have gone to the greasy midnight watchman at the prison. Or his family. And yet God was sovereignly working it out. And Peter and Paul both understood that. And what was Paul doing? Worshiping the Lord. Worshiping, singing. So the first thing is, we say God is God and he is sovereign and in control and I'm not. Hallelujah. The second thing is, I'm going to believe today in this moment that everything that has happened to me to this moment in my life is God's sovereign plan to work out his kingdom through me and in me. And the third thing is, because of that, I'm going to be thankful. Those are the three steps. I am going to say, thank you, Lord. Because regardless of what happens, it's all to your glory and it's good. And what's good for you is good for me. Disaster may come in the next step that I take. Praise the Lord. Success may come in the next step I take. Praise the Lord. Whatever may happen in the next step, Lord, thank you because you are sovereignly working it out. And I praise you and thank you. Listen to how Habakkuk put it. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. You've got to be kidding me. No. Serious. That's hard, isn't it? 
Because let's talk about your prison this morning. The readers read some about the many different kinds of prisons this morning through the Psalms and through Isaiah. I mean, this morning you may be in a prison of loneliness. And you may say, I don't know how to say thank you and worship the Lord in my loneliness. I despise my loneliness. You may be in a prison this morning of fear. And you may say, how can I thank God for the prison of fear that I'm in? I hate this fear. How can I thank him for this fear? Or how can I thank God? Maybe you're in a prison of pain or anger this morning. Or maybe you consider your marriage a prison. How can I thank God for the prison that I despise and hate? Well, I'm not asking you to put on a fake smile this morning. I'm not asking you to pretend to be something you're not. That would... That wouldn't be with the integrity of how we started the service. Bring who you are to the Lord. Listen to how David put it in Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I've come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. Listen, I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched from crying out to you. My eyes fail looking for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause. Those who seek to destroy me, I am forced to restore what I did not steal. You ever been in that situation? Let's jump to the end of the psalm. And he says, I am in pain and distress. May your salvation, O God, protect me. I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. Here's the beautiful thing. I can cry out to God in my prison. And I can acknowledge the full pain and the weight of everything that I'm in. And at the same time, lift up a voice of praise to God. Because he is God and I'm not. Because he is sovereignly working through me and in me to advance his kingdom. And to help me to be a part of that. And so this is hard, but I'm going to praise you and lift up thanks to you. Because right where I am is right where I need to be for you to do what it is that you want to do through and in me. Imagine. And here's the last thing before we come to this. Because some of you may be sitting there going, God is sovereign. He's in control. Okay. He's working through every situation in my life up to this point. I'm going to thank him. That's good if you're like Peter and you got arrested. What if the prison you're in this morning you made with your own hands? Are any of you in that situation? You're in a prison you made because of the things you chose to do and because of the things you chose to believe and because of the way that you've managed your own soul and the way you've treated people and the way... And some of you may be sitting here this morning going, you know, that's good for people that are Christians and good people that get in bad situations. But for me... Shame is screaming so loud that it says no key can unlock the door of this prison. Guilt is like 
you know, welding the doors of your prison shut and there's nothing that can take those out. Wow, this is where the gospel gets scandalous, guys. Because it just, it rubs wrong. I mean, could we be so bad and be loved so well? Is it true that where sin increases, grace increases even more? Could it be true that like Herod had no authority to tell God what to do, no matter how much sin you've got, it falls short and weak in compared to the sovereignty of God that said through Jesus Christ, I take your sins away and I declare that you are forgiven. Is it possible that this morning right now, if your sin, let's say that you're addicted to pornography this morning. Could you actually say to God, God, thank you for this addiction. What? You've lost your mind, right? What if this morning that you're anorexic? Thank you, God, for anorexia. Is that a word? All right, thank you. All right? What if you're in so far over your head that maybe even this morning you're married and you're having an affair? Thank you, God, for this situation. Why? Why? Why and how? Because this morning, if you've taken the process of saying God is sovereign and He is God and I'm not, that God is working through all things, then I come in thankfulness and say, Thank you, Lord, that you've revealed to me the prison that I'm in. You've revealed it. And you are greater than my prison. True or untrue? All right? And let me tell you why I think this is so important. And then we're going to go into a time of you journeying, okay? Because God is coming to each of you. If you're a Christ follower this morning, I'm going to guarantee you something's going to happen in your life. And you're going to be worse than Peter. The Spirit of the Holy Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit is going to come and He's going to bring a bright, bright light into your life. And He's going to kick you. And he's going to say, get your butt up. Go ahead, get dressed. Don't know what you're sleeping naked in here for anyway. Put your shoes on. They should have been on. Put your cloak on. Don't forget your cloak. Peter, you're going to need your cloak. It's cold outside. Come on, Peter, this isn't a dream. No, the chains aren't on your hands anymore. Just walk. And what's killer is, why did he say to Peter, quickly get up? I couldn't understand. Like, he's in charge. He's an angel. I... Were they at a rush? I, I don't know. Did the angel like give a little pixie dust that made them all sleep, but it only lasts for 30 seconds, so they needed to hurry? I, I don't know. You go figure it out. Some of you may need to dig into that and come back and tell us. But I'm promising you this, that this morning, if you belong to Christ, he is not going to leave you alone. He is like the cat that will not go away. I'm not kidding you. And he's coming. And if you're not walking in these three things, you're going to just think you're dreaming. And you may not get up. Because he's coming. And he's saying to you, a bright light I've brought into your life. Get up. Clothe yourself. Clothe yourself. Go find out what that means in Ephesians. Clothe yourself and follow me. 
Because we're going out into the streets. We're leaving your prison. If you don't believe that God is God and he is sovereign, if you're not believing this morning that God is working through every crappy thing you've been through and every great thing you've been through for this moment right now, and if you're not believing that you can step into the place of celebration and say, thank you, God, and in that celebration, he gives you a revelation of understanding what he is doing, then when he comes to you and says, get up now, let's go, you're going to say, nah. You know what? I'm pretty content to keep this prison my home. So I'm going to hang on to fear. Even though I've had it, I'm going to hang on to doubt. Even though I've had it for 30 years, I'm going to hang on to sexual immorality because I've had it for so long. I just It's just so familiar. Even though I've had these envy, coveting, all these things, you know, Lord, I just hang on to them. No, go work through somebody else. Let's don't let that happen, okay? So here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to stop in just a second. And I'm going to invite you to pray. Um, and our musicians are going to sing a song. And I want you to let that song just be a song that guides you into asking the Lord, Lord, what prisons am I in? This morning, what are the prisons that I'm in? Okay? And then when we come out of this prayer time, we're, we're going to stand and like Paul and Silas, we are going to worship the Lord. Here are the prisons, and we worship you. We're going to give you praise because we believe that even in our sin now, you are working to heal us and to bring us out of these prisons. Okay? Any questions about that? Track it with me? Yeah, you in the back? Oh, that would be cool, wouldn't it? <laughs> so we're about to pray. And I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, acknowledge that he is God and he is sovereign and he is here this morning. Lord, what prisons do you have me in? Help me see, the, open my eyes and let me see where I'm at. And in his sovereignty and his glory, we're going to stand after the song and together as a community, we're going we're to worship like Paul and Silas and ask him to shake the foundations of our prison and set us free. All right, ready? Lord, how can we um, understand the heights of your sovereignty, the magnificence of your control and your love? You are God of God and King of kings and Lord of lords. There is none like you. And Lord, we can't even understand even our own prisons because some of us have so deluded ourselves that we have even thought that this prison is like a cozy little cottage. So Holy Spirit, come and reveal to us. Come and help us to see those things that have entrapped us and caught us and hold us as prisoners. Speak to us, we pray.